we go. Today we're going to look at verse 14 through 26. So let's read that together. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, well, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have your faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For the body, apart from the, for as the body, rather, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. The Bible, your, your scripture tells us that, that the word of God is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart, dividing uh, that, that complex stuff inside of us as, as, as bone separated from marrow. And so we invite that work, especially for this topic, for this theme, because it's one that the disciple of Christ must grasp and understand lest our hearts go astray. Lord Jesus, uh, we commit this next little while to you beyond we pray for your namesake. Amen. I, I loved uh, Brandon and Paige. Didn't you, like, didn't you like that? Wasn't that great? That was spot on, guys. Thank you for that. And um, they made it seem so easy, didn't they? It was kind of like, but... That's what's in their hearts. I'm not, I'm not calling you out, Tina, so it's okay. <laughs> I looked at her and she was like, oh. so. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I know them pretty well, and I know that they, they really do strive to, to live by, by those words that they gave. But I think they'll be the first ones to tell you that, that standing up here and giving you this is this is what we strive for, but then living it out in the home is, is, is tough. My wife has put up with me, bless her heart, for 33 years, 
And I have to be honest, I was listening to some of the stuff Angel was saying, just convicted to death, thinking I need to just repent and apologize to my wife. So, but that's part of the body, right? That's part of what we do. So the big idea in this sermon, and the reason why I, I guess I'm, I'm pointing to them, is they stood up here for about 12 or 13 minutes and described the kind of works that James is writing about. See, so at the beginning of this passage, he, he kind of uses an example. He says, so if you see a brother or sister hungry or in need, and, and you just say to them, well, we'll go, go be at peace, and it's all going to be good. Well, what good is that? And, and we, take that, we take that little piece and we go, okay, well, that, that means that then if I just kind of watch out for folks and I can provide for them and, and do things, then I'm good. That's not, that's not what he's saying at all in that. He, that's just an example. But the kind of works that Brandon and Faith were talking about are, are exactly along the same lines. See, it's a heart thing that takes place. And we're going to really break this down. So the big idea today that the Lord kind of gave me in this as I was seeking him about what to bring to you is is this hopefully it's behind you yet let's go to the next slide faith demands what if you ever thought about it that way faith demands doesn't suggest faith demands obedience resulting in works which at the end of the day brings about the fulfillment of the great commission So we know the story about Abraham, and that passage cites it where Abraham found favor with God, and so God said, hey, Abraham, um, get up from where you live and go to this other place that's a long way away, and by the way, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham said, okay, and he up and went. And then there was this long journey of several decades and still no son, and Abraham had made some mistakes and done some things. Um, along the way, just like we do, we make mistakes, but God's mercy is, is still steadfast and in the fullness of time. He, he had a son. Of course, we know his name was Isaac. And Okay, now Abraham, take your son and go to this mountain and, and kill him, sacrifice him. That had been a good time for Abraham to say, uh, wait a minute, God, can we talk about this just a little bit? That's what I do. God, can we talk about this? You know, I'm, I'm, I'll obey, maybe, but can we talk about this? Abraham said, okay, and up he went. And he told his servant, if you read that passage, he said, okay, you stay here. My son and I are to go a little further, and we'll both come back in a little bit. Oh, so, was, so what does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God to the point to where if he killed Isaac, that God would have the power to raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham wasn't baking his faith that God would change his mind. No, Abraham was baking his faith that God is God. And if he said that Isaac is going to be your heir and that your descendants will be through him as numerous as the stars, that God must have a plan. So if you look at Hebrews 11, and I'm going to be unpacking several passages of Scripture. If you're not... Uh, at the place in your spiritual journey yet where you're just really adept uh, at, at, at following through. Don't feel like you have to go to all of these. If, if you're pretty good at it, then feel free. As it happens, this passage is just a couple of pages prior to the one we read. So there's some interesting words here. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's giving us a definition. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their com commendation. Uh, a little further down in verse 6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, that is, God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If you want to go to Isaiah and 44, just kind of keep your finger there while I unpack this just a little bit. That The remainder of that chapter, if you've read it or if you take the time to read it, you'll see is story after story in the Scripture of men and women who have accomplished, you might say, exploits of faith and what that looks like, trusting God. Um, for many years, I've noticed that Scripture tends to use the words faith and trust and belief. Kind of, they, they can, you know, they substitute for one another. They just kind of use them interchangeably. Um, and in that passage in James that we just read, Paul makes the point, you say that you believe. Well, even the demons believe and shudder. So that there's a point there, I think, that, that, that James is making there in, in that second chapter that it, it's, not, it's not just about what you believe, but it's the application of that belief. And uh, I thought it would be fun to kind of See what what are in our American language. I didn't study out the Greek. I'm sorry, Caleb. You can bring that some other time. But in the American language, believe and faith and trust. What are the new? What are the differences of those? So I actually looked it up in the, in the, in the Webster dictionary. According to the, to the Webster dictionary, to believe means to accept something as true, genuine, or real. To have a firm conviction as to the goodness, efficacy or ability of something. That's belief. Faith, the definition is firm belief in something for which there's no proof. Something that is believed especially with strong conviction. That's faith, according to Webster. According to the Webster Dictionary, trust is an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something or someone in which confidence is placed. I'm going to read those again really quickly, and then we're going to jump into Isaiah and read some verses here. Believe to accept something as true, genuine, or real, to have a firm conviction as to the goodness, efficacy, or ability of something. Faith is firm belief in something for which there's no proof, something that is believed especially with strong conviction. Trust, assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something or someone in which confidence is placed. So, keeping those three definitions in mind, let's talk about this one who we just sang about, who, who we claim and are supposed to believe is the object of, of our faith, okay? So, just stay with me. I'm starting in Isaiah 43, 1... But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's get down to verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have, whom I have chosen, that you may understand, excuse me, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Skip down to verse 25. This is the essence of gospel. This is the essence of the gospel. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Go down another few verses. Chapter 44, verse 6. I'm sure you're seeing a theme, theme now. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Verse 8, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Chapter 45, a couple of, maybe a page over, uh, verse 18, if you're following along. A few verses here. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He didn't create it empty, but He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols. And they keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. It would do well, and I loved what Kelly said about that verse in Hebrews that talks about Jesus being the representation of the Father and who reflects His glory. So when you think about these verses that we just read, who are we talking about? Jesus and God. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Godhead. But sometimes I find it helpful if in my mind I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is Christ. This is Jesus. This is Emmanuel, God with us, the Word made flesh. So, go to the next slide, please, Seth. 
He must be the focus of our belief and our faith and our trust. And if you need to remember what they are, just Google them on Merriam-Webster and you can read them again, okay? And, and he must be the focus of that for us. It was for the disciples, if you want to go to John 14. We have this, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can have it there in front of you as a reference. Um, but, but Jesus had, um, he had done the Passover dinner. And remember, he took off his, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, and he took off his robe and started to wash their feet, and you know, that, that whole thing that happened, everything that did, had communion, Judas left. Um, Jesus says, I'm going away where I'm going, you can't follow me, and the disciples are, they're just trying to figure out what, what, what is happening here. You know, here we're on this trajectory, and now all of a sudden, what, what is going on? And Jesus senses this, and he says, look, don't let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. I'm where I'm going, you know, I you know that if I go, I'm going to a place for you, and I'll come back and take you to myself. And um, so that where I am, there you may be also. And, um, and then one of the disciples says, well, Jesus, all we need to know is the way. And he said, well, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And that springboards the thing that's on all of our minds. From the disciples down 2,000 years through history, through every one of us who sits in this room, this is the crux. If that is true, if Philip says, okay, you know, we've been with you for three years. I mean, I'm thinking what he's probably thinking. He says, Jesus, show us the Father, and it's enough. We'll be good. It'll be like, okay, we could go through anything. Jesus says, have I been with you for so long that you don't know me? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. That's a remarkable statement. So it comes back to Jesus. Now, this is where it gets a little sticky for us. Because uh, we're talking about works. We're establishing faith. And we're under, trying to come to an understanding of how faith and works go together. And our big idea is that faith demands obedience so if you go over if you happen to be in, in in John and you just look over one more uh, chapter there to John chapter 15 um, Jesus uh, goes on and you know probably a very familiar passage to, to some to many of you where he talks about I'm I'm the true vine uh, my father my father is a vine dresser if you abide in me and my words abide in you I'm really paraphrasing through here um, and he talks about how you can't be, if, you know, if you're not in the vine, the branch can't bear fruit unto itself. And, and then he makes this interesting statement. Um, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So we're talking about works. And Paul made this statement. He said, okay, you say that you have works. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. But the presupposition there is that Paul is abiding in the vine. And the works that he's doing are works which are engendered and manifested as an outflow of the Holy Spirit in his life. You cannot divorce that. That's so hugely important. Jesus goes on to say, um, just a few verses later, he says, um, I'll go down, it says, uh, 
in uh, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. He says, last night, oh, so i got to obey. But then he says, look, he said, I've, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. How many of you would like more joy in your life? Just joy, right? Okay, you know the, the secret to joy? Walk in complete submission and surrender to the Word of God and to His plan for your life, and to the works that He's trying to produce in you, my friend, you'll experience joy. You won't, you won't be able to help it. It'll be there because as there becomes less and less of us and more and more of Him, that fruit that, that Paul talks about in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, begins to evidence itself in our lives. However, the opposite is true if we continue to choose our own path. Well, that, that sounds good, Mark, and, and that's great for Sunday morning, but, you know, I, I got this thing that, that, I, that I'm just not real sure I, I buy into all that. And, and this would be a great moment for you to watch this. Make sure that playback is unmuted. Don't start it yet. got a bad case of the what ifs like what if they don't take you serious what if it don't work what if it's a bad time a little inconvenient what if every conversation after this is awkward what if our kids don't get along what if they're not receptive I mean I got to see these people again and I don't mind picking up a kid or two after school I mean I was headed there anyway but what if it's out of my way what if I was saving my Saturday? The Lakers are playing. Not playing at all. Dead series. Team is dead locked in a seven game series. What if I just don't have time? You may have a lot of time on your hands. Me, I got a lot of hands on my time. I'm an introvert, overworked, underpaid, so tired I ain't got it made. Besides, deeds have never filled the soul's need. Quite the opposite, obvious. Go and take your youth groups to Mexico. Go ahead and let them feed the poor. Send them to hell with full stomachs. The gospel is supposed to be preached. You say that's a cop-out. I say I'll just shut my mouth because if I speak, you will have expectations. And what if I don't want you to? What if I think these lazies are getting what they deserve? What if I plainly just don't like them? Do I got to like them to love them? What if I don't love them? Sometimes I wish I was ignorant. Because then I wouldn't know I'd have an obligation to speak. Because if I speak, then my biggest fear might be revealed that I might be a fraud and I really don't believe. What if I don't believe? You say the gospel works. Yeah, the gospel rolls up its sleeves. 
works. What if I don't? What if it don't? What if I'm just scared? I've convinced myself that intellectual assent is all that they need. But then again, who washes a plate, puts it in the same dirty water, and wonders why it doesn't stay clean? See, the gospel, it works. Yeah, the gospel works, compels work. So what if everything that Brandon and Paige said about how a husband and wife are, are supposed to be and respond and behave and act? What if, what if we're supposed to take that beyond the marriage and take it into the body? See, just a few verses later, Jesus says, so here's my commandment. You, you want to know what I'm calling you to obey? Here's my commandment. That you love one another as I've loved you. And he goes on later in that chapter and says, The world will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So church, I put it to you this morning. Are we trying to love each other the way Brandon and, talk, and Paige were talking about how they're trying to learn to love each other? How successful are we at that? Well, but you know, Pastor Mark, you know, we... We live in a Christian nation, right? So we're founded on Christian principles. There, you know, most people believe in God. A lot of people go to church. Folks, that's our problem. We, we've rested for too long in that. The issue to me is not whether or not America has a Christian heritage. The question for me is, is am I living mine? <laughs> because if I'm not, then I'm missing the boat. And any works that I do won't make a difference to the kingdom of any kind. I need to wrap up. So what does it mean to live as a creature of faith? I'm going to read a few verses out of Psalm 119 and, and uh, while we're turning there I'll, I'll say one of the themes that Caleb touches on repeatedly that I appreciate because honestly we don't hear enough is the theme of, of suffering. And it's not a pleasant topic. We don't like to be told that, that suffering is part of the deal because that cuts against the grain of being an American. If you, if you were lived in Africa or Asia or 80% of other places in the world, if you were told you've got to suffer, you're like, yeah, well, I think I'm doing pretty good at that. But that's just how people live. But in America, we've had so much for so long with so little accountability that, that suffering is like, why would I want to suffer? But folks, that's what, that's what the Word calls us to. Jesus Himself was called the suffering servant. And so when we suffer, it should be like, oh, why am I suffering? God, are you mad at me? Did I do something wrong? This isn't fair. No, folks, it's, it's part of fallen humanity is the suffering that goes with that. But there's an antidote to suffering. We're going to look at it. Psalm 119. Verses 9 and 10. How can a young man or a young woman or a middle-aged man or woman or an old man or old woman for that matter, how can any one of us keep his way pure, her way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. Do you remember what the writer of Hebrews wrote that we read a few minutes ago? Those who come to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So we should ask ourselves the questions. What do we seek? Do we seek stability? Do we seek fulfillment? Do we, do we seek... Uh, the, 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 a good job, a good career? Do we seek recognition? W what do we seek? Jesus said, if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He knows the things you need, and all those things will be added to you. Verse 25 says, My soul clings to the dust. Isn't that true? Isn't that, isn't that the nature of our fallen humanity? Isn't that where we're... Come on. Seriously, folks. I know I'm not alone in this. I know left to myself. I know where my mind goes. I know where my heart goes. It goes to the ground. It goes to the mud. It goes to dust. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Uh, another translation of that is, for you set my heart free. So, so some, some concluding thoughts this morning. I'd like to precede these with a little passage out of Ephesians. Welcome to turn there if you want to. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. We have a, there's a, a Bible study that happens on, on Saturday mornings. And we were talking about this. In fact, I told them I was practicing on them yesterday a little bit. For, for, for my time with you this morning. And I, and I made the point, I said, you know, if you were to walk up and down First Avenue during the week and you were to ask 100 people, do you believe in God? Probably 90 of them would say, well, of course. And if you said, to, to those 90, if you said, well, do you believe in Jesus? Then, yeah, then probably 50, 60, 70% of them would probably say, well, of course I believe. After all, we still live in North Dakota. Of course I believe in Jesus. I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Baptist, or whatever. But if you were to take those same, same hundred people and say, do you know what Jesus is calling you to do? do? Have you learned how to hear his voice? And moreover, are you obedient to what he calls you to? You'd probably stop them in their tracks, and I would be willing to bet that out of the hundred, it would be a small percentage who would even know what you're talking about. Most of them would say, well, well I'm a good person. Uh, you know, I try to treat everybody right. I try to, that, that wrong answer. 
There is not one who is good. Not, not one is what the Bible says. We're not good people. So, so this whole belief thing is so incredibly important in how we walk through this. Because you see, it's not what necessarily we say we believe, but it's more what we do. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. And you were dead, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, just like we read about in Isaiah, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You're like, well, that's, that sounds pretty good. That sounds great. Okay, but there's the rest of the story now, so stay with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not your own doing. But the, the, the very faith that causes us to be saved says it is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Can't work your way into God's graces. You can only receive Christ's sacrifice and understanding that receiving that demands obedience. Then it says this, I love this. For we, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, but, but Mark, you just don't know what I've been through in my life. You, you just don't know all the horrible things that, that I've gone through. And, and, and how, how tough the situation is. You just don't know the pressure I'm under right now and, and the things I'm trying to get out of. You know, that is a cul-de-sac that the enemy would love for us to live in. But the truth is, is that every single one of us sitting here, every single person who resides in Jamestown, North Dakota, and beyond, God has prepared good works for us to walk in that bring Him glory, bring us joy, and, and draw people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So some concluding thoughts here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Obedience to Christ commands results in good, that is, faith-conceived works. Good works build faith, edify the church, and draw the lost to Christ. I added in my notes, the greatest witness that we have is the love that we have for each other, which I just want to end by coming back to remember what, what Brandon and Paige said. Um, those things that exemplify relationship. And let's live that way, church. Because that's, that's where good works are born. So let's pray.